I'm going to be diving into how long this Nationals rebuild or retool or reboot could take. I'm going to tell you guys about what I think and how long we really could be projecting this rebuild. But also, after all these big-time free agents and all the crazy contracts that have been given out, I want to tell you guys and remind you about how the learner's offer to Juan Soto was not a joke. And I'm going to get that started right after this. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Ryan Clary, and thank you for making Locked On Nationals your first listen every day as you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and it's for free. So I have taken my Nationals passion in just following this team into a podcast form here with the Locked On Pod Network, and I'm just having a ball of a time, as you can tell. I love it. I love talking Nationals baseball, as this is kind of something to where it comes second nature to me. But also, I still have the fan in me, and I'm still a Washington Nationals fan, and I saw all the headlines over this past summer when the Nationals decided to trade away 23-year-old superstar Juan Soto after he declined a 15-year, $440 million contract offer. And guys, I am here to tell you that that offer that the learners made in this front office was not a joke of an offer. I see a lot of you out there talking about how, what about the AAB? He would have been the 20th highest paid player in baseball according to, or for his annual average. And you're right. But guys, when you're seeing the contracts that are being handed out to Aaron judge, Carlos Correa last two nights ago, and you're telling me, that the learners who offered Juan Soto $450 million over a 15-year period is out of this world, like, bad? No. No chance. And I'm as hard on the learners as anyone out there. And I am. But I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that that offer was a joke and that they should have bumped up the AAV. Because one thing that we have learned from this free agency is that AAV isn't all that. That's just kind of a talking point amongst top talking heads. What people really want and what most agents and what most players really want is over the course of their career, they want the most money in baseball if you're someone like Juan Soto. And you want a lot of years, a.k.a. security. And what the learners did there That's called security. $450 million was going to be handed out to a 23-year-old Juan Soto who was having a down year also. Like, for example, Aaron Judge just signed a nine-year, $360 million offer. The Nationals offer, while it was six years more, 
was $450 million. That's $90 million more over that long period of time for Juan Soto. That is not a joke of an offer. And that is not even something to where I would even think about. What do you even say it? And I've said this before. But now as contracts are being handed out and you're starting to see what contracts are really about in baseball, is it truly about the AAV? Or is it just the fact that Soto is confident in himself, which he should be, and he knows that he will be able to get a potentially higher offer, especially when it comes to annual value? But guys... The point is here is that the Washington Nationals and the Lerner family, as much as we want to sit here and talk about how they don't spend, I complain about that. I complain about that on yesterday's show. I complained about it on last week's show. Every show, you've heard me complain about that. But you know what I'm not going to complain about? I'm not going to sit here and say that they did not try and sign Juan Soto to the deal that would have been fair because it was a fair deal for the Nationals and as well as Juan Soto. And why do I say that? It's simple. $90 million more than the highest paid player of all time with Aaron Judge. And some people just don't want to accept that. Some people don't want to take that in account and be like, well, guys, this is kind of nuts, right? Like, it's Juan Soto. He should be getting more money than any anyone else in baseball. And that's what he will do. He's going to break the AAV record when he's a free agent in two off-seasons from now. He's going to get the largest contract in MLB history. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But then again, your Washington Nationals offered him that biggest contract in MLB history by $90 million. $90 million million. So I'm not going to sit here and you're not going to hear me complain about how they didn't try because they did. And is Juan Soto, should he have declined that? In my, my opinion, no. But you know how Scott Boris does his work. He wants the highest AAV. He wants to wait until free agency to start a bidding war and get the most money possible. But there is risk in that. And that risk is what if Juan Soto is not that good over these next two years? What if he's missing Kevin Long after he departed the Nats after the 2021 season? What if he was kind of that magic trick and waved his magic wand to turn Juan Soto into Juan Soto? Who knows? I still think Juan Soto is the best hitter in baseball. But then again, I can't deny the facts that this guy had a down year. And especially after he got traded to San Diego, he wasn't much better. In fact, he wasn't better. So to sit here today and seeing people on Twitter, on blog accounts say that the learner's offer was a complete joke is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Seeing Carlos Correa sign for what he did this two nights ago, he doesn't have the highest AAV. In fact, he turned down more annual value from the Minnesota Twins to sign with the San Francisco Giants. And some may ask, well, why did he do that? Everyone cares about being the highest paid player annually. It's a case-by-case basis. Maybe Juan Soto does. But then also, it's not necessarily about that in my mind. It's about the long-term 
value. And I think the Washington Nationals put their best foot forward. They put their best offer out there, and they weren't going to be budging and weren't going to go past that. They understood that Juan Soto was never going to be signing regardless, even if you – actually, I'll take that back. If you offered him a $500 million contract over 15 years, maybe. But then again – That would be kind of ludicrous to offer that now. And yes, we can see down the road that that's probably what he will be demanding. But if you were to do that now, if you were to offer him that deal now and he were to accept it, it would change the game of baseball in a massive, massive, massive way. It would screw up all sorts of things when it came to free agency and to really budgeting a team. So I'm just here to say and to really just remind everyone that you should not be upset with the learners for not giving Soto a quote-unquote fair offer. Because in my mind, that offer was more than fair. And it wasn't even close. And we're always hard on the learner family. They're in the middle of a sale, or are they? And we talk about how they don't spend money. They don't use their assets. They haven't built up a farm system. That's still regardless of the point that I'm trying to make is that what is the real difference here? Is it the AAV or is it the long-term value over a contract? And I'm here to tell you that I think long-term value still means more than AAV. That's just my own opinion. A lot of people would disagree with that, but after seeing Carlos Correa and what he signed for, for his AAV, he turned down more for a longer tenured offer with, of course, a better organization and a better team that's on the up. But still, you can't sit here and blame them for that. You can't. That offer was more than fair. It was more than anything anyone should have asked for. And in fact, I was stunned to see them make that offer. For in order them to make that offer, good for them. In my opinion... That was kind of like a, hey, we learned from our past mistakes. We lowballed Trey Turner. We lowballed Bryce Harper. You probably lowballed Anthony Rendon as well, even though he was going to be gone either way. But now, you can't blame us this time for losing Juan Soto. And this just got my mind rolling after seeing the Carlos Correa contract, seeing the Aaron Judge contract, who is the highest annually paid player as far as position players go, which is Aaron Judge. Juan Soto will be able to eclipse that, and he will in two off-seasons right now. But sitting here today, that contract that they offered back in July was more than reasonable. Juan Soto has every right to turn it down, and he did just that. Because he will probably demand more. But that's if, if he can continue on the pace that he has been. Because this last year with Juan Soto was a down year. And that's just really my thoughts about that. People can't just be up in arms about the learners. They made their best offer that they possibly could. And I'm not going to sit here and dump on them for that. But now I want to get into some of the Nationals rebuild and really kind of project to you how long this rebuild could take as trading him was a huge stepping stone into getting to where we want to be. But first, I'm going to tell you about my friends at NHTSA. 
you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. I've done that. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risk of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there currently right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. And now I want to get into projecting this Washington Nationals rebuild. And really what I want to hone in on here is how long could this rebuild take? Because there's a lot of people out there who think this could be a decade-long rebuild like the Baltimore Orioles. And I'm here to tell you, relax. It's not going to take 10 years to rebuild this team. Maybe if you kept Juan Soto, then you may have taken that long. But when you trade someone like that and you get the pieces back that we did, there is no chance in hell where we're going to be taking a decade to build this roster back to where it should be for postseason contention. In fact, if I were to look into my crystal ball right now, I truly think this rebuild could be on by 2025, really. And I've been bouncing off those numbers because I'm thinking 2024, 2025, 2026, in that range. But now, after looking at it and looking at the prospects that we have, looking at the picks that we will be acquiring in the future, and thinking about the money that we aren't spending now to when the Nationals do potentially have new ownership, they're going to want to spend. And by that time, to when the Nationals do start spending their money, you're going to have a lot of cheap, cheap guys on rookie contracts that are going to be saving you a lot of money, and they're going to be making a big difference in the major leagues. Because right now, if you were to look at our top prospects rankings on MLB Pipeline, Robert Hassel III is our number one prospect, although that will change, and that did change with Baseball America. They actually went ahead and put James Wood there, number one. But I'm not really looking at the prospect rankings here. Today. I'm looking at the ETA and how long some of these guys to where it could take. Because that's what matters at this point. You look at guys like Cade Cabali, who is a high prospect with the Washington Nationals. He was our number two prospect behind Brady House this past season. He arrived in 2022. He's going to be on the opening day roster and potentially, who knows, probably be our number two, number three starter when it's all said and done. You look at Matt Cronin coming out of the bullpen, left-handed pitcher. Then you look at someone like Robert Hassel, who right now is projected to be up later in the 2023 season. But although I will say, I don't see him coming up. If he does, 
maybe it's like for the last two weeks of the season, he starts a few games, gets his feet wet. But even then, I think 2024 or really probably around May of 2024 is really when I would project for Robert Hassel to make the jump. Then you look at Cole Henry, again, a second round pick in the 2020 draft out of LSU. And honestly, he's been one of our sleeping giants with the National League system. In nine starts this past season, had a 171 ERA, 31 innings pitch, and had a whopping 34 strikeouts, which is nothing crazy. But look at his whip. He had a 0.79 whip in those nine starts. And this is someone who's only getting better. He's only getting better. So when you have all this talent that is potentially coming up through the system, this is a rebuild that could be over with by the time in 2024, maybe 2025 or 2026, but I don't see it lasting any time longer than that. And if it does, then Mike Rizzo, you got to go because this is the talent to where you traded Juan Soto. You traded this generation's Ted Williams as to what everyone calls it. And you got all that talent back in return. You got Jarlin Susanna, Robert Hassel, James Wood, C.J. Abrams. You got all these big guns. And the reason why you did do that is because you rebooted the farm system to help us now in a sooner scenario because those are guys that you can't just fall upon in the first few rounds of the draft. You can't. Robert Hassel a guy who is a first-round pick. C.J. Abrams, a top-ten pick. Mackenzie Gore, a top-ten pick. Elijah Green, in this past year's draft for the Nats, top-five pick. You look at all these guys, all these guys that could be helping us in the future and over the next few years. If all of these things happen, if they do successfully work out, then we're looking at a 2025 solid contending roster. And that's not even to say that the Nationals won't spend. If they do spend, this team could be better after this coming season. They could actually be a postseason threat depending on how things go. But if you add next winter, if you're actually aggressive in free agency, this is going to be over a lot sooner than you would think. And in fact, that's what I do think. I do project us to spend some money in this coming offseason. But thank you for making Locked On Nationals your first listen today. For your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. And as I was saying, pump the brakes on the Washington Nationals taking a decade to rebuild this roster. It's not going to happen. And have a little bit of faith in Mike Rizzo. As truthfully, we all owe him an apology after seeing all these contracts being given out this past season, or really over the last few weeks. We owe him an apology. For what he offered Juan Soto was not a joke. And this is someone who recognizes that this team is in a rebuild, and he is putting his best foot forward in order to make this the fastest rebuild possible. And so projecting this rebuild, I say give it until 2025, maybe 2024, if we're lucky, if we start to spend a little money, 
next offseason, and we'll wait until then. Because, guys, I'll say it right now. I'm sorry, Ted Lerner, and I'm sorry, Mike Rizzo. You guys have done fine when it comes to Juan Soto, and you guys did the best possible thing in trading him now. Because you know what would have been worse than trading Juan Soto? Was having Juan Soto walk out that door. And I can't stand that. But before I get into some more salary cap stuff, I'm going to get into a little salary floor. As some people have brought this to my attention. And it's definitely 100% worth consideration. But before... I'm going to tell you about my friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from pro football to college bowl season to basketball and World Cup. We've got it all on BetOnline.net. We're in the thick of basketball season right now, and your boy loves to splash a little cash on these NBA games, NCAA games, whatever may be happening. And my friends at Bet Online, they got all the stats, all the news, and all the analysis that I will need to, in order to place those bets and feel comfortable in my own skin. So we're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. And you can head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. And now we get right back into the salary floor discussion. As yesterday, I was talking about how the MLB needs to act now and add a salary cap. Well, now let's talk about a salary floor for the teams that aren't spending the money because there are plenty of those right now when it comes to not spending money. Because when you look at teams like the Oakland Athletics, Wait till I tell you about what they have right now on their payroll going into the 2023 season. Obviously, at the top, you have $274 million for the New York Mets. You want to see what the Oakland A's are? Dead last in the MLB? And this is not a joke. This is all according to Spot Track. $4.5 million. million. That is what they are spending currently. And this will go up. This will go up. It 1,000% will. No one is denying that. You know who's second to last? The Baltimore Orioles at 18.6 million. 28th, the Pittsburgh Pirates, 30.65 million. 27th, the Tampa Bay Rays, $31 million. Now that, that right there is way more unacceptable than the New York Mets spending $274 million right now. Think about that difference. From the top, the New York Mets, $274 million to the Oakland A's at $4.5 million. Not only I was hammering this yesterday, in order to spend in the MLB, in order for the best team possible out there, you need to spend your money. And the New York Mets, 
kudos to them. They're doing just that. I just think it's too much. But there is a problem as big as spending too much money, and it's not spending enough money. That is the next biggest issue in Major League Baseball. They need to implement some sort of floor to where teams can no no longer just not simply pay players. And yes, I am for tanking. And some people could say, oh, well, it is tanking. No, this is not. This is something to where you have seen this from those four teams forever and ever. And it has been a part of Major League Baseball to just simply not spend money. And if you can't reach the floor of what teams should be spending annually, then pack your bags, your owners are out. It's that simple. You have to be able to spend some sort of money to field some competitiveness on the field by spending money. It's that simple to me. I don't know what the floor should be, but I can tell you right now, the average payroll is $102 million across the MLB, and that will be going up. I know it will be. But guys, $4.5 million for the Oakland A's. How can you tell me that's fair when you have the New York Mets spending $274 million? You have the Yankees, $207 million. The Padres, a small market city, $174 million. How can you actually say this and have it be respectable by any stretch of the imagination? Because what the Oakland A's are doing is as bad as what the New York Mets are doing in my mind, and that's by just not spending money. There needs to be some sort of minimum in place to where teams will stay competitive. What is that number? I can't tell you. But someone smarter than me with a calculator in their hand can do that. And Rob Manfred, don't lie. You have those resources to where you can make that happen. It's just a matter of if they will make it happen. Because this non-competitive BS, that's what it is. BS. And I feel bad for those fan bases. We talk as Nationals fans, as the learners don't spend any money. But good Lord, $4.5 million right now for the Oakland A's. And again, that's going to go up. I know it. But for the sake of argument right now, what are we doing, Major League Baseball? Good Lord. So that'll do it for me today. So thank you for making Locked On Nationals your first listen. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. I will be talking to you guys tomorrow. I think we're going to be taking a little deep dive into the Nationals' lower system with the Fredericksburg Nationals play-by-play guy. I will have that for you tomorrow night, and we're going to talk all things James Wood, and we're going to talk a little Yarlin Susanna and mix in some other guys like TJ White. And guys, these are people that you will need to know about as they could be coming up quick and hot as they are the hot names in the national system. Have a good day, everyone.